everyone, thank you for tuning into my podcast, Colors in Action. This podcast, Colors in Action, will be focused on careers of people of color who seek to inspire the rising generation, that there are people that look like you in great careers. I'm the host of Samoan, Tongan, husband, father of two, Tomasi Kivali. Today, I'm excited to have a Marine vet. He is a man of strong faith and is a great example to me in every way. I have looked up to him since I was young, and I still do now. This interview was actually my first one for this podcast. Who better to be the first than this honorable man, my friend and brother, Dennis Brown. All right, Dennis, thank you for joining us today here on Colors in Action. Yep, I'm Dennis Brown, just a regular guy trying to uh, survive life and stuff like that. I I known Tomasi for, um, I can't remember, for quite a few years, and we've been pretty good friends and kind of lose contact here and there, but yeah, I'm really good friends with Tomasi, and I have a family of six. Uh, my wife, Crystal, with four kids, uh, just a family man that's just trying to get things going and seeing what I can do to help other people as well to explain some of my some of my career choices and also bumps on the road that I found success in helping other people as well. Uh, I was born here in Utah. Uh, my my parents, Teleni and Alofa Brown, were both uh, born in uh, Western Samoa. Parents uh, moved here probably back in the nineteen late nineteen sixties to the seventies. They lived in Kearns, and I was born and raised here in Utah. So that's me in a nutshell. That was back in two thousand two thousand nine to thirteen. But California was too expensive for us, so we moved back here to, to Utah. When did you go into the military or, or just walk us through, like, the recruiting process for you and how that went? So the the recruiting process, this was about, again, 2000, 2009. So the recruiting process has been changed a little bit here and there. Uh, but you definitely have to find a recruiting station. Um they call it R RSS recruiting substation. Uh, there was one in West Valley and a lot of people have asked me like, how hard is it to join the military? It's actually not too bad. Um, they have physical, uh, physical restrictions. So you have to be physically fit. That's why they go to high schools and they kind of recruit, they start the recruiting there because uh, high school kids are pretty, pretty active. Uh, in the Marine Corps, I can only speak for the Marine Corps because every branch has their different physical standards. So normally our regular uh, PT standards was you have to do a three-mile run, and I believe it was you had to do it under 28 minutes. Uh, then you had to do crunches or sit-ups, and you had to do at least 55. The minimum was 55 crunches in two minutes, and the max is 100 and then you had to do at least three pull-ups, and that's what a lot of uh, a lot of people had some challenges with uh, with the pull-ups. Pull-ups were were a bit bit tough for a lot of people, uh, but that's just the physical aspect. You definitely have to do what 
they call it ASVAB test. It's pretty much just a regular test. You don't have to study for it. A lot of people are like, I, I don't do good on tests, but don't worry about that. Um, they just wanted to see where you, where you can get placed for uh, a MOS or military occupation specialty. So initial stuff. Is that physical uh, training? PT is a uh, physical training because um, okay. there's what we call a, a PFT, a physical fitness test. And then there's also a CFT, which is a combat physical or combat fitness test as well. So there's two different things that you have to do in the Marine Corps uh, to pass. All right. All right. And then I know, you know, I've, I've heard things like, you know, number one recruits, a lot of majority of the recruits for the military is coming out of American Samoa or the islands. Like, did you feel like there was a lot of push for the Polynesian people to be recruited when you were looking into it? So, yes, yes, and no. Uh, in the Marine Corps, there there's a very small, small percentage of Polynesian people. Um, I just actually listened to. Uh, another podcast where they invited a Marine Corps uh, recruiter on their podcast. And uh, most, most of the Polynesians actually join the army or, or the, the Navy. There's definitely a larger number of Polynesian people. I mean, right out of high school, many Polynesian kids and individuals are, they're pretty strong. They're pretty active and they're def they definitely fit the, the military uh, aspect of physical training and also discipline as well. Um, the Polynesian people. Yeah. Let's go back to like, I don't know. I, I'm sure you probably were contacted through high school, but I guess your specific process with trying to join the military, meaning like, were there other routes for you to pursue like college or career or what brought you into the door of the military route? It, that, that's an interesting question because it's actually, actually religion um, actually helped me choose this route. Um, I'm, I'm part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, there's certain scriptures that, um, that mention a bit of war. And in these certain expert, uh, excerpts or stories that there were uh, stripling warriors, young young warriors that had to defend and fight for their for their their fathers and their mothers, and that that actually spoke out to me. And I, that's I that's how I came to choosing the military, because I knew that I my parents were getting older, we were still at a time of war, and I definitely had a strong feeling that I needed to answer the call to defend this country. And I joined the, the Marine Corps because one, the uniforms were just awesome. Uh, the dress uniforms to the, the, the camis that we had, the digital camis, that was the number one thing. And I always wanted to, uh, I wanted the uniforms, which isn't the best thing to go off of. So anyone who's like, Oh, join the military for the uniforms. Uh, there, there's a lot more than just that, um, because a lot of my my family members, um, extended family, they they joined the the air force, and I wanted to go a different route. Uh, and there's, I think I was the second marine in my my extended family, 
to join. So I decided I wanted to do something a little more challenging and, you know, look cool doing it as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, there's always inside jokes with the military branches. So you guys got that kind of inside jokes going along. But um, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I, I didn't know about that religion aspect for you. It was a, a big drive for that. Uh, for joining the Marines. So you get through the recruiting process. I, I know the ASVAB, is that something, can you explain more about the ASVAB, like what that looks like or what that is? So it's, I mean, again, it's been so many years since I've done the ASVAB, uh, but it, it's pretty much, in basic terms, it's a placement of where where you can do best in the military or um pretty much where you can get placed. Uh, I scored pretty, pretty average. So I had a couple, a uh, couple options. Um, the first time that I took the ASVAB, I was actually going to be at administration, I think. Uh, something to do with paperwork and stuff like that. And that, that wasn't very, uh, a, a, um, it wasn't, something I wanted to do uh, in the military. Uh, so I, I waited a couple years and then I went back and did the ASVAB and I actually scored lower than my initial. Uh, but yeah, it's just the ASVAB is to help where where you can get placed in the military. And I think something to also mention out there is a lot of people think Military is just to go to war. Uh, all the branches go to war. In reality, the the military has the same amount of jobs outside. So like in the civilian sector, we have people that do sanitation. There's people that do supply, you know, make sure that the inventory is good. Uh, in reality, combat is very, combat MOSs or military occupation specialties, uh, any combat roles, there's a very, very, very small uh, percentage of people that actually go to combat. Uh, again, depending on which branch you're in, but not all military occupations will get deployed uh, to a combat country or a combat tour or anything like that. Okay. And then I didn't even know about those, the combat aspect. Um and then I know that there's a difference between enlist and reserve. What what route were you did you do? So so the reserves. Um, so I did I did active duty. Uh, I was active duty enlisted. Uh, reserves. They're they're also technically uh, enlisted, uh, but they're not active, so they don't have to. So like for me. I was active Marine. I was stationed out at Camp Pendleton and I had to stay on base uh, 24 seven for the most part, unless we're able to go outside uh, certain areas at certain times, the reserves, they, they're able to do the training. So they'll do boot camp just like, uh, like I did. And then they'll go to a place called SOI, which is school of infantry. Uh, but don't don't let that scare anybody. They have to do. They have to learn how to be an infantryman, 
And then after they do three weeks of that, they'll do an additional three weeks to 12 weeks of extra training for their actual uh, MOS, uh, their occupation. But once they're done with their training, reserves get to actually go back home and then they only have to do X amount of time of training every month or think of it as one one weekend a month and two weeks out of the, the year that they have to meet up at a certain base. So reserves, if you want to go that route, that's not too bad. Uh, you do have to enlist for six years for reserves or if you want to go active, it's four years uh, for, for a contract. Awesome. And then you did like two contracts or how long were you a Marine or were you in the Marines for? So I did, I did one contract, which is four years. And in the four years I was deployed twice. Uh, once was, my first one was actually a combat tour in Afghanistan. And then my second uh, deployment was, we went around the world on a Navy ship. We call it a MEW, uh, Marine Exp. Uh, MEU, which is a Marine Expedition Unit. So we have Marine battalions 24-7 going out. They're, they're all at, at sea, while there's others that are on certain bases. But there's uh, ev at any given time, there's always a Marine unit that's out deployed. Um, nobody knows exactly where, but they're in different places around the world, on the ocean, on a Navy ship. And they're able to get anywhere within 24 to 48 hours if there's a war conflict at any given time. So that's why Marines are always prepared at any given time. Dang. So in the four years, you so being deployed is pretty common in the four years for two times? Uh, yes. Yes and no. It just depends on the MOS that you, uh, that you choose. Um, I was infantry, uh, so... I was there. There's a lot of training that goes into it. Um, like I went to Korea, I uh, went to South Korea. We were probably a few miles away from the DMZ, which is the border of South Korea and North Korea. That was pretty cool. Uh, did some training there, and uh, it just depends on your MOS. Um, some some MOSs they don't get deployed. Others, they might get deployed uh, once in four years or three three times in their four years. And the more that you, more contracts that you, uh, that you re-enlist, you'll probably get deployed more, but it also depends on the, the actual specific job uh, that you're signed up for. Because some people, they might not get deployed. Others, they might get deployed twice or three times in a, in a single contract. Yeah. Um, in my memory, I remember you were pretty excited to go to the Marines. Um, were you wanting to do another contract or you were just done after the four? Like what, what was that crossroads look like? So I, I wanted to do uh, more contracts. I, I, I wanted to reenlist, but as soon as I got married, um, I got married right before my second deployment. I wasn't supposed to go, uh, I wasn't supposed to be deployed a second time. Uh, but as soon as I got married, they told me, Hey, you're, you're going on a second deployment. And I was like, great. Uh, I, 
it was it was unexpected but hey that's the life of a military person you can get called at any time um even when you're not expecting it they're like hey you got to go and i had to answer the call so dang but yeah. as soon as soon as i got married i was like i'm done <laughs> i'm done so yeah <laughs> i know i know i saw um you, you know, on the birthday or you always post a, a birthday thing where you go to this place and do the haka. Um, someone, someone shared that somewhere on TikTok and it went viral. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, one of my, one of my buddies that I deployed with for my, uh, for our first deployment, uh, he was like, Hey, did you know you went viral? I, I didn't have TikTok at the time. Uh, I mean, I have an account, but I I don't really check it mm-hmm. out. And uh, he's like, "Hey, I saw you on TikTok." I'm like, "I don't have a TikTok." And then he sent me the link, and it was uh, it was me performing the haka for one of my one of my buddies that passed away uh, in Afghanistan. And you know, a lot of people look at the the haka as a trend, uh, but for me, the haka is a very spiritual experience. Um, when you get down to the traditional hakas, we understand, especially for Polynesian people, you know, the hakas to, uh, it's in a way it's to communicate to the other side, uh, for the spirit, you know, all the spirits who have passed away and moved on to the other side. Uh, it's a way for, for us to connect. There's a, a very powerful, uh, there's just this, this spiritual power, that connects us to them and them to us through the haka. And uh, before I did the haka that that year, I think it was probably it was probably eight years ago since I did that haka, give or take. And my friend, before he recorded, he asked me because he knew he knew of the haka and had a very great respect for the haka. And he asked, "Hey, is it okay if I can record?" And at first I was going to say no, because I'm like, this is, this is for, for our buddy Colton Rusk. Uh, that's, that's my brother's name. But then I decided like, you know what? I think we should probably go ahead and, and record it. He has a longer, uh, there's a longer version than the one on TikTok. And uh, when my friend sent me the Haka on TikTok, it, it brought me some tears and I was like you know even though that it was probably close it's coming up to 15 years ago since since he passed away it's uh it still hurts but with the haka and throughout time definitely I definitely have some healing uh going on and it was definitely a way for me to uh, to show my mourning for my my brother and especially the Rusk family uh, that live, they live in Orange, uh, Orange Grove, Texas, and I, I love their son very much. And I, you know, Marines are very, we're very close to each other. Uh, there's a great brotherhood, and when I performed that haka, that brotherhood definitely strengthened our 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 unit, our platoon, and the the Marines that went to that reunion. It definitely. It definitely helped us and strengthened us and healed us because 
we were still bitter about losing a lot of Marines, but, you know, we answered the call. We did our job and we will always remember those who passed um, on to the other side. But yeah, that was an interesting ride uh, when I got that TikTok and I looked it up and I was like, oh man, some great memories there. So we're actually uh, we're actually having a reunion next month in April. So um, I'll probably uh, perform another haka uh, at that time because that's some sacred ground on Camp Pendleton. And I'm excited to see see a lot of my brothers up on that hill. And it'll be a fun, fun experience and awesome uh, to reunite with a lot of my Marines that I deployed with. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, knowing you is part of the reason why I love the freedom we have in this country. Um, just seeing you through the Hakka, uh, I watched it and I was like, dang, dude, I know this guy. And um, yeah, you can feel the the passion, the, the spirit's open, the heavens open while you perform such a lovely, uh, you know, chant that we have in the Polynesian culture. For sure. Which brings up uh, one of the questions that I was thinking of, like, so you went into the military for, you know, big reason for religious purposes. From some of the stories I hear, there's a lot of, like, negativity, you know, habits that you pick up and things that you see. Can you explain how you would you would overcome those or experience in your service that, that helped you stay spiritual within your faith? Uh, for sure. There's a lot of things to that. As soon as I as soon as I got out of the military, there there was a lot of survivors' guilt and stuff like that. Alongside, I I never par- participated in in other things that other Marines did. So like, a lot of Marines they like to drink, they like to drink, they like to party, but that's that's how they escape um, some of the the trainings that we've done, and also it's a way to. Uh, to get away from the deployments and things that we've done in the military. Uh, luckily for me, I wasn't, you know, I, I never did much drinking. I didn't do much smoking or, or any of the sorts, but it was after the military. Once I got out, uh, many of us suffered from, from uh, survivors, guilt and depression. And, to answer the question of what, how, how did I overcome that? You know, it took time. It definitely took time. Um, time out of the military and time with family and loved ones. Uh, I know a lot of my my buddies. They still still look at alcohol for a way to escape, but they also do therapy and things like that because. Um, depression and um, anxiety and all all these types of emotional uh, distresses that it definitely we took a huge toll um, from our, our first first uh, deployment and stuff like that but for anyone who is suffering post military life I definitely suggest and encourage people to seek out help whether it's you know, through therapy, through medical practices, uh, spiritual practices as well. Uh, that definitely helps out quite a bit. 
but just talk it out is probably the number one way to survive post-military, if, if that makes sense. But yeah, again, for me, it was mostly medical practice and therapy, but also spiritual as well. That was a major thing for me. I know, I know when I talk about therapy with Polynesians, kind of like say, you know, kind of have this thing, like we don't need therapy. Like we can figure it out on our own. Uh, I guess, how would you communicate? Like, man, like, I don't know. Therapy's therapy's pretty good. Or just talking about it to an individual, like a Polynesian individual who thinks that they don't need to talk it out with someone. So I know as a Polynesian culture, we've been raised like be a man, right? And, you know, your problems are your problems. Um, if, if you're one of those Polynesian brothers or sisters, for sure, like do what you can. But I, I strongly encourage that, you know, seek out whatever help, whether it's going to the gym the gym definitely helps out uh, dieting, but I know, I again, I know a lot of our Polynesian brothers and sisters there, we were grown up, you know, solve your own problems, uh, be a man, just do things on your own. And I can, I can just share with all confidence, you can only go so far, you know. You can only go so far with that mentality. And I know, especially Marines, like we don't take prisoner or we don't, not that we don't take prisoners. We just have that mindset of you can do it. You're a Marine. It's, you don't need help. But in reality, we keep telling our Marines like, hey, look to your brother to your left and right of you. Look to your sister to the left and right of you. Depend on them. And we don't just mean that in, in combat when we're fighting other countries, but when we come back home, you have to also look to your left and right, look at to your brother, look to your sister, to your left and right of you. And you got to depend on them emotionally as well. There's definitely that mentality. Of, you know, it's people will say it's a toxic trait. I wouldn't say it's toxic. It's just how we were raised and it's manifesting itself to us and it's starting to become more and more of a problem because we don't want people to take on their own problems. You have to be humble and you just have to let your walls down and seek help, you know? And I probably, I, I read a story once where, uh, so, a lot of the kids, Polynesian kids, they don't go to their parents uh, to seek help because the very first thing that they're going to say is deal with the problem by yourself. <laughs> I did it. You can too. And to the Polynesian parents, like I, I say this very humbly and respectfully, but your kids, even though they came from you, they are not you, you know? They, they have different challenges to where they're contemplating suicide nowadays. And that's, that's a huge, a huge problem. And the reason, again, now, now that I'm a parent 
And I'm actually saying the same thing that my parents kind of tell me is take care of yourself. And my, my daughter and my son, I have four kids, but I look to my 10 year old and eight year old and I'm like, take care of yourself. And then I stop and I'm like, that's the stupidest thing that you can say as a parent, you know? Um, again, I say this respectfully to the Polynesian parents. Um, you have to find certain ways to help your children. And my son's actually going through an actual pretty hard time at school. And me as a parent, if I, if I did what my mom and dad did to me, to him, it would not solve the problem 100%. Not saying that my parents beat me or anything, but they just kind of pushed, pushed my problems to the side and said, you're strong, keep going. But it, it it's something that needs to be addressed on both sides that the children, the Polynesian children need help, but don't think that you can do things by yourself. And also to the parents, like there's, there's so many ways that you can help, but there's also services that can be given to the parents so that they don't have to deal with a problem child um, by themselves. But I, I think that needs to be addressed, um, definitely, not just for the Polynesian uh, people, but to everybody, even post-military people. Like, don't do it by yourself all the time. Go as far as you can by yourself, but you have to rely on somebody or a higher power or, or something like that. But, yeah, to the parents, please, please, please don't push your children's problems off to the side and to the Polynesian uh, children. Uh, don't do it by yourself. Okay. Cause there's, there's services. There's always help out there. And hopefully this podcast, which is my hope is to reach out to any, uh, any individual parent or child uh, to help them and know that there's people like me that have found success in being humble bringing down my walls and seeking out something to help me at certain times. Awesome. Wise counsel. Yeah. Hopefully this could be a platform to kind of get things rolling, get the snowball effect too. Uh, so I appreciate those, to, that word of advice. And again, we're not, we're not, you know, therapists or anything. This is all coming from a, uh, just personal perspective and experiences. So absolutely. I love how you say, you know, you can't do it on your own. One thing that I value is that I have an awesome partner uh, to help kind of put me in line. Sometimes I married outside of the culture. So her perspective and what I grew up, it, it butts, it butts, we, we butt heads all the time, but I'm so grateful to get it kind of get a different perspective. Again, like you said, there's nothing wrong with how my parents raised me. Just there's always a better way. So with that in mind, you said you got married during your contract of military service. Can you kind of explain how you found your wife and uh, why she fell in love with you or uh, you tricked her into marriage or something? <laughs> so I, I actually met her dad first. Um, I went to go visit, this was right after 
um, I came back from Afghanistan, I found out that one of my uh, one of my buddies from high school, um, he he joined the the Marine Corps, and he's like, you know, I joined the Marine Corps because of you. I'm like, oh. At that time, I already had experience, and I was like, bro, I don't know if you want to join the military now. But he was already he was already halfway through boot camp, so I was like, yeah, you're you're almost there. You're that's cool. Um, but I went to the church services on uh, Edson Range, and it was a, a fast Sunday in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and and I bore my testimony, <laughs> and. My wife's dad was there, and he just had a really strong feeling that he needed to talk to me. But uh, as soon as the services finished, I left. Uh, but then my uh, my buddy started talking to me outside the, the chapel. And Crystal's dad came up and said, hey, I have a daughter for you. I want you to meet. And I was like, dude, I just got back from Afghanistan. I'm, I don't think I'm ready for a, a relationship. I just wanted to be single and free. And, but he gave me, he gave me, uh, I thought it was her number, but apparently it was his number. He's like, Hey, uh, text this number and then we'll get you set up. And, uh, before I actually met Crystal, uh, we, she she was she was living here in Utah. I was in California, and she came down to California and and she texted me, and she's like, "Hey, you want to go to Sea World? Because military people get in free." But at that same time, I actually went to to Arizona, uh, down to Yuma, and I did some training there. And I told her, I was like, "Oh, I can't because I have to do some training. I, I'll be out for four or five days." And then she was frustrated. Because she's like, my dad does. Her dad doesn't uh, just give out his daughter's uh, number. He has four daughters, and uh, he doesn't just give their phone numbers out and stuff like that. So she was a little frustrated. She's like, uh, she's a strong believer in God, and she's like, how do you know? I had a strong feeling that I should text this guy and hang out with him, and here I got dumped, and he had to go to Yuma. Down in Arizona, and she was frustrated. But I told her, "I'm like, hey, one of these days we'll meet up." And eventually, we did meet up here in Utah. Uh, pretty much hit it right off the bat. Got married probably a year later, six months six months to a year later. Uh, but yeah, it was through her dad, and it was all history. I, at first, I was like, "Nah, I'm, I'm good. I want to be single for a while." But here I am. To, uh, almost 10 years 11 years later with four kids and a and a wife there you go so the success man it's crazy yeah instead of getting the daughter's number you got the father's number i think the father yeah <laughs> the i don't know man uh, it works out at the end i guess so awesome is there anything that you would like to share more about post-military service that you can think of besides what you shared? Um, I think I, I definitely want people to know uh, post-service, post-military life, it does get better because um, 
like you asked the the question i i should actually mention this before of like the how to how to get get into the military in reality the military you go in perfect because it's it's they screen everybody you have to be physically perfect mentally perfect so that they can make sure that you're doing well um that you go in with you know fresh fresh mindsets and stuff like that and that you're physically capable of doing all the jobs that's necessary post life military life you come out broken <laughs> you come back what we like to call military grade uh your knees your back your 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 ankles everything starts to hurt your shoulders your your elbows your mind um i do want people to know that um that you're worth still or that you're still worth living for um cuz i i've had quite a few marines a lot of my my instructors as well that that committed suicide but those who are contemplating that i i definitely want to share that it's it's still worth living no matter what what you did in the military whatever happened in your your life in the past like this this definitely isn't the mindset of like you need to work out your problems just know that there's people out here that are they're still here because you're alive so i definitely want people to know that uh, post military life cuz we we live for the legacy of those who passed on for um before us um especially like i i definitely let people know about Colton Rusk uh he was a machine gunner just like me and there's times where i i contemplated suicide but then every time i think about that um he pops up in my head and it's a good reminder like hey he's not here to live his legacy but i have four children that i can express my love for him and let them know of the legacy that he had and that, that he can still continue through my children and through me and through my spouse and through all all my other brothers in my my platoon i want people to know that like we're here for a reason and we need to keep living now it's not an expectation to live for their legacy but it's to pass on their legacy and ours at the same time so it's i want everyone to know that it's still worth living don't don't contemplate suicide it's it's difficult it's hard but at least for me my experience it's worth it it's worth to keep staying here keep living even if life sucks that's okay like just keep going yeah i'm grateful you're still here dennis and to any of those who are listening we love you. Don't don't go that route and it is hard, but it's worth it. Keep on trying and keep on tucking. The blessings will come and you'll find joy even though you're in low low times. With that, would you encourage or do you encourage your kids to go the military route or what's your opinions on that? Uh My my kids are still pretty young, um, but I always catch them uh, wearing my uniforms here and there. 
and every time I see it, I, I, I feel very proud. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't want my kid to go in the military. Uh, but I, I don't really talk to them about them serving because I, I definitely want them to make the choice just like how I did. Um, I knew that I, I had a very strong calling to the military, but I don't want them to join the military just because, oh, my dad and my, you know, my auntie and my uncle, my brother and sister, I don't want them to base their choice off of our service. Um, I definitely want them to choose for themselves. But again, like right now, they're very, they're very young to even make a choice. But th I think there's a seed that they feel like they, they might heed the calling to joining the military because every time they put on my, pieces of my uniform, they're just very proud. And they're like, hey, look, I'm daddy. And I'm like, uh, half of me is like, don't do it. The other half's like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at this point, uh, I don't really have an answer if I, you know, encourage my, my children to, because I definitely want them to find their calling. If they feel like they want to go, then by all means, I'll support them. And if they're like, I'm going to join the military because I have no, nowhere else to go, then I'll probably tell them, no, that's not what the military's for. Like you, it is, but it isn't but I don't want them to go in the military just because it's an option. If that makes sense. I want them to go in to choosing that they wanted a career in the military. That's a, that's valid. That's awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll see in the next, what, six years or so. Oh yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, no worries. Um, yeah, I guess you know we're we're about at time. For oh, listeners, yeah. I this last part is um, an audience challenge where I have my guests um, pick something that's inspirational to them that has altered uh, the way they live their life, and to share with the audience, kind of to have the audience reflect on uh, the gift that uh, they leave behind. So, the audience challenge that you have, Dennis. I think I would have to reflect on the haka. Now, that's something that I, I challenge the the audience is there. So the haka is not just a chant, a warrior chant. I mean, it is, but there's a there's some major meaning to the haka. So I definitely want the audience to search out a haka, um, because there's a lot that's very inspirational, especially the one that I performed. Uh, real quick, the Hakev is pretty much uh, in, in perspective. It's it's a father speaking to a son, telling them do what is right, what choices that you make, do them proud, have courage, and do it to the fullest. So there's a lot of Hakevs out there, and I, I challenge the the audience to search out for specific Hakevs that that would help them from day to day, uh, minute to minute, hour to hour. Um, because my the haka that I that I that's very inspiration uh, inspirational to me is called uh, Tikotonu, and that's one of my probably my favorite hakas because that one definitely is very a uh, huge inspiration to me. So 
for the audience, find out, look, look on YouTube, on Google, uh, specific caucus that reach out to you. Where do you see yourself in five years? I still see myself, or actually not still, in five years, I'll probably see myself still as a bum right now. You know, no, just kidding. No, I actually see myself, uh, um, I'm still on the entrepreneur route. And in five years, I actually do see myself having a pretty successful business, um, just more, you know, making a side hustle into a stronger and more efficient uh, business. So that's where I, I kind of see myself in the next five years. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, if you could go back to when you started adulthood, uh, would you change? Uh, what would you change or would you change anything? Um, I wouldn't change anything because there, there's just tons of lessons that I've learned that now I'm helping others who are having the same challenge. So I know I would, I always say I want to change this or that, but in reality, I think I would keep everything the same because it's helping people now. And then how does your faith guide you in your life today? Um, so my faith, I'm, I'm very, I want to say I'm a devout uh, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I'm a very strong and firm believer that what I'm doing now is um, is guided through our loving Heavenly Father for sure. And I mean, there's times where I did challenge the church here and there, but now I'm to the point where I'm letting Heavenly Father guide me because it's definitely guiding me to people that I need to either keep in contact, get in contact, to let them know that their Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ loves them. Amen. Yeah, if you get that started, we'll we'll have you on this podcast again and uh, and have you continue to encourage our people or our listeners. So, well, for sure. Thank you for for letting me on this podcast, and thank yeah. you for for your time as well, Tomasi. No worries, Dennis. Appreciate it. If you or a loved one is going through thoughts of suicide reach out to the National Hotline, 1-800-273-TALK-8255. Wow, Dennis Brown, thank you again for having this experience with me. You have shared heaps of things in our discussion. Depression is real. And if you are experiencing it now, this is a personal invite to start the healing today. May it be through therapy or some other form, you are loved. And if you did not know that, know that here at Colors in Action, I love you. I know it might not feel so now, but you have always been great. That has not stopped. All that has changed is where you are looking. Reach out to your loved ones. They will let you know too. All right, that wraps up my pilot, episode one, A Marine Man and Surviving Guilt and Depression. Thank you for tuning in. And if you felt inspired, learned something new, or were uplifted because of this show, hit the like and subscribe. I will be posting a new interview every Saturday. Until next time, be a color in action.